Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and everything that it takes to build customer perceived value and all the things you can do with it once you understand it. Uh, I'm Mark Boundy, and today I've got a really great guest, Christine Gilroy. Christine has been a vice president of sales for Oracle for uh, quite a few years in their customer experience business. Uh, she's been a vice president of sales at another company. Currently, she advises start startup companies and is uh, an advisor with a really cool startup in the sales performance space. So we'll talk about that. Christine, welcome. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled. Uh, you and I met probably a couple years ago at a C-suite network event and kind of uh, figured out that we are kindred spirits in, in selling value and understanding value. So I'm really thrilled to be able to talk with you today. Awesome. Yeah, I thought it was a great, uh, great meeting and for us to collaborate on things that are so passionate about and, and so true to the way that we go about our selling process and the things that we do are very in sync. And I love that it all centers around the value because that's what matters the most to your customers, my customers, and, and sellers uh, across, the, across the board. Yep. So I'd like to know kind of how your experience um, selling CRM and selling sales solutions, how and then leading over a hundred sellers, uh, how your that experience shaped your approach to customer perceived value and where you're taking it. Sure, sure. I think when you spend most of your career selling to salespeople, it starts to really refine your message around value because as salespeople, we are the worst critics when it comes to being sold to. And so that's really something that it brings your game up to a whole nother level. So when we looked at uh, what was working and what wasn't working, one of the things that gave us the most success uh, selling CRM applications, and I sold them for Oracle for 10 years, but before that I had sold it for five or six at various different companies. Um, and so what we found is that the value had to be there and we had to work with the customers to help under, understand on our benefit of what benefit it was for them and rather than selling features and functions and technology vendors get into that trap of selling features and functions. Let me show you everything cool that I think you're going to love. And that's really not what customers want to buy. And that we have seen that over the years be something that has really driven customers away from that type of selling approach. And as we have more information available to us on the web and people will first go to Google to find out information before they call their sales rep, they don't want to hear the features and functions. They want to understand the value and they want to understand the outcome. And I think that's where I've seen the, the move in the, even in the past few years and things that I believe are going to happen in this new world that we're entering into with social distancing, that if we aren't speaking about the value that it is benefiting to the customer, they're not going to take our calls. They're not going to meet with us. Yeah, I'm, I'm really adamant about making sure that everything you, all the conversations you have with a customer are in the language of customer outcomes. 
and because they don't care what you sell, they care what they're going to get. And if you're talking about what you're going to sell, you're not only being unresponsive to them and their needs, but you sound like every other seller. Right. You have to differentiate yourselves. Many studies have been done with statistics that lead to buyers that say that only like 13% of the sellers out there come prepared to the meeting. And that means knowing and understanding the customer before you're even meeting with them. And that's where you get into this, this segue of customers really want to feel heard. That's where your active listening skills come in. They want to feel understood and they want to feel that you're there to provide them with the value that they need and the outcome that they're looking for. Not the outcome that maybe you think they should have or the outcome that other customers that you've sold to have had, but their very specific and individual needs. Yeah, I, um, I've talked to a lot of VPs of sales who are buying and uh, so many customers say, well, I've got three proposals on my desk. I got three business cards on my desk, but, and they've got three different company logos on them, but everybody's selling me the same thing. And there's, there's only two, there's three things that can happen when three companies are selling the same thing and two of them are bad. Well, all three of them are pretty bad. You know, one of them status quo wins because nothing's compelling Two, they do buy something and it's either from you or from somebody else. But after they've used the two of you to grind each other down on price and none of those are good outcomes. No, not for the not for the seller or the selling company. You end up in a price battle when you all look the same, and I think that's where you're right. And the teachings that you're bringing to the table and and the value that's in your book on helping people understand how you get to that value is very critical for sellers to be successful. And that's the thing is they don't really always know how to get to the value. Yeah, um, there's when we talk about understand the customer's pain or the sophisticated people understand their pain and their gain. Um, what you're talking about with a customer is the things, both pain and gain that they know to articulate. And they articulate them not only to you, but every one of your competitors. So when you're playing in that space of what the customer knows, then you're going to be stuck in that sameness trap. I call it fist fighting in a phone booth because you're, you're swinging and you're working as hard as you can, but nobody really swings a good punch, you know, lands a good punch. If you understand their business and understand their outcomes and, and you've done your research beforehand to help them visualize and articulate to themselves new outcomes that were unanticipated, now you've got unanticipated gains and unanticipated pains that nobody else is selling. And now you're differentiated and now you're a business advisor and it's, it's a cascade up rather than a spiral down. That's right. And it takes a lot of homework to do that mark. And that's one thing that I find that reps are not necessarily all good at. The A players are really good at it. The folks that sell into one specific industry probably are pretty good at it. Uh, but most of us don't have that, uh, focused energy to really dive deep into our customers needs because we might still possibly be learning about what it is that we sell and so when you're when when we do this we think about why are they buying something at all and then how is it how am I uniquely qualified to handle that so I don't end up in that phone booth what are my unique capabilities that solve that customers um, value need and making sure that the customer wants or needs what I have to sell and identifying that right out of the gate 
And that may be different for different buyers. I think one thing, and, and I, you've talked about this in your book, is you're, you're in a situation now where it's committee buying. So no longer is one person make a, making a decision. And the value may be different for each person on that committee making the decision. So going through that thoughtful process and understanding it and understanding how it affects each individual as a part of that committee is going to be very important going forward is you may not also be in the hallway walking in, into them into a meeting and meeting them, shaking their hand, taking them to lunch. These things are being removed from our, us right now today and for the foreseeable future. So getting that value out of each individual differently is a skill that is going to need to be refined and very much practiced. Yeah, um, we've, we've talked about this before and it, we're having this conversation um, beginning of May of 2020, for those of you who are listening to this podcast in a recorded version. So we're, uh, we're struggling right now in the COVID-19 lockdown. And we're all asking ourselves, what is it going to take to succeed? What's going to happen when we come out of this? And you and I have kind of came to the, the consensus between us that people are going to be scared. People are going to be hunkered down and very risk averse. And so the winning sellers, the sellers that survive actually, are going to be the ones that replicate that elite seller behavior from before. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. Elite sellers uh, on my teams, and I've managed hundreds of sales reps and sales VPs and across the North American continent, and the consistent behavior across all of them were they understood their customer as well as the customer. So they did their homework, they did their research, they mapped those values that the customer was looking for into their unique capabilities. And then in turn, they were able to work towards why they needed to do something now and be able to tie that back. And that goes bigger than just an ROI. But what are those factors that play into what drives a customer to make a decision, especially when they're risk adverse right now? They're not only risk adverse to not wanting me to come in, but they're risk adverse to maybe not wanting to change anything and not want to spend money as right now today and for the foreseeable future, protecting cash and cash liquidity is most important for them and it's not spend, especially uh, on different types of solutions that aren't putting their people back to work or putting, you know, protecting the money in their bank accounts. And so we have to be very good at being able to understand why they're going to do something now and why I fit into that uniquely. One of the best ways that I've seen top sellers do that and is the homework that's involved. And I think we just talked about that before. And then marrying that solution to the customer conversations and asking those open-ended questions. Yeah. And so that you're, as I said before, so your customer feels heard and understood there's going to be less pipeline out there. So that's the one thing is that all sellers need to know that you can't just shoot a bunch of balls out there and hope that one of them, one or two of them stick. You have to be very precise in every single opportunity that you get in because there will be fewer opportunities for you. And so that we're going to, I believe, and I've, I've questioned and, and spoken to other thought leaders in the industry about this. So there's a consensus that there, the pipeline is going to start shrinking. So you're going to be working on fewer deals. So those deals that you have to work on, you have to get better at your close ratio. And the best way to do that is be that elite seller. Yeah. So all of those people in the middle of the pack need to start having those elite behaviors. And that's where kind of the technology gap comes in for us is that there's not a lot of technology out there that helps to reinforce the elite behaviors. And if it is, sales reps aren't using it. Yeah. Just say. Yeah, no, we've had that conversation about CRM, and, and the, I love the phrase that you use, that uh, a lot of CRM gives the seller a glide path based on activities. Um, and I can't say it as well as you did. Please do 
say it because I. Yeah, I think in elite selling, the glide path on, on what you're going to do and how you're going to land that plane is different because it isn't based on the number of activities. It's not based on the number of meetings that you're going to make in person or meetings that, that you do over the phone. It's not going to be based on the number of emails that you're doing. The glide path is going to be based on your value that you're offering and derive what value you're driving at. So what types of questions and what types of leading statistics are you offering? So if you had mentioned it before, becoming that thought leader to the customer and the advisor, business advisor to the customer. To do that, you have to understand the industry they're in. And so you should come to the table with key trends and industry-specific um, messages that, that you can educate them on and mapping that back to the conversation so that it drives more value in the discussion. And those are things that I think that the CRM companies are going to need to start shifting towards more so that it's about this new seller's process. And that's what we're doing at Ventella. So I'm giving us a selfish plug, but uh, that's some of the things that we're focused on the rep rather than the manager. And we're focused on the reps being able to track what they're doing and how healthy their conversations are versus how many conversations they're having. Yeah, uh, the, the old conversation, every say, uh, vice president of sales I've ever met knows I need to go for quality and not quantity, but they don't know what quality is. And um, I was a uh, sales consultant for Miller Hyman. And so I came in contact with probably with a little over 100 other consultants like myself over the eight or 10 years I was there. And since then, I've talked with consultants who were with Challenger and, and all of the other major, major methodologies and to a person. So this has got to be covering over 100,000 different deals, 100,000 opportunity reviews done by 100, over 100 different consultants. And they said the thing that salespeople consistently perform poorly on is understanding the customer's outcome. And we've been saying that thing that they do worst is the thing that's most important, is the thing that's going to preserve your career in this day. And so, um, you know, Vantelis is operating exactly the spot where they are differentiating exactly where, where salespeople are going to need to perform at a very high level. Yeah, we do believe that. I mean, we're, we're getting ready to launch our first beta customer, so it's very new and working through that process. But the way the product was designed in nature is to help that, and that's our words, right? We're using the terms glide path and help us through that process. I have never really truly understood why sellers don't do it. And being a salesperson myself, I only, only can attest that to, I think that we are a little distracted. Uh, we, we like shiny objects, but we like the next thing, but we're also very relationship driven people. And so a lot of what we're talking about is the things that you do to build the relationship up. So it's taking yourself out of yourself, finding out what those barriers are to you doing things a different way and working through that process. And it's hard, it takes time. And I think that's one thing that the sales sellers that I've seen over the years that aren't doing it, aren't willing to put in the time and the effort. Because it does take effort. But if you've only got a handful of deals, you better be the expert at every single one of your customers' industries. Yeah, and you know, I think back to when I was new uh, in a variety of different jobs, right? And I had just was coming up to mastery on the product. I was so proud of what I knew that I was barfing out what I knew, which meant <laughs> I was right. I, I was doing the feature benefit thing, yeah. um, not because of an intent to be selfish, but because of pride in, I, I wanted to show off what I learned. And I was really lucky in that one of my first jobs, uh, the 
was at uh, W.L. Gore and Associates, maker of Gore-Tex. They were maniacal about understanding customer outcomes, understanding the customer's business and understanding how we were differentiated and what that differentiation was going to give to a customer, what outcome. And so you know, I thought it was normal because that was one of, one of my first jobs. But um, in dealing with hundreds and thousands of companies as a consultant, I realized that was pretty rare and it was a pretty special gift. And so I was lucky enough to graduate out of that pride of new ownership of knowledge to back to understanding customer value. And so that's kind of what shaped my, you know, my writing this book is uh, really seeing it having grown up and and from a little puppy grown, you know, a sales puppy having grown up with understanding the customer value. Um, and so it's, it's an easy thing for salespeople to fall out of as I can see from, you know, over a hundred thousand different right. opportunities. Yeah, I hear that. And, you know, you, it's okay, I believe. And I think you are in sync with this on the features and benefits are fine. So that I, you know, we go far back enough that there was this, this theory called fab selling. So it was the feature, the advantage and the benefit. Remember that? I mean, I know it's, we're showing our gray hair here, but that was a, that was truly a thing. And, and that's what people taught us like feature advantage and benefit. And those are still key as long as those features and advantages and benefits that you're talking about draft the story and give you the story to create the vision for the customer and the outcome that they're looking for. And that's that very careful, very delicate dance that you're doing as a seller to not talk too much about your own product and solution, but speak to it in a way that continues to tell the story that maps back to their their objectives. And I don't think that's too hard once you exercise that new muscle to take it the extra mile. Yeah. And maybe we learn it over time and we've learned it over the deals that we've done. But I do think that if, if reps are looking to up their game into this, uh, into this new sales world that we're entering into and become those elite sellers, they have to really practice that muscle. Yeah, I think so. And one of the other things that um, Gore taught that turns out to be a really high level elite selling was not only understand the customer's outcome, but be able to get the customer to describe their own outcome in so much detail that the customer can monetize that, can describe that outcome in dollars, dollars per year. If I have this outcome, this is how many dollars it's worth. If you are able to get the customer to formulate that in their mind, not me barfing a, a payback calculator to them, but having them internalize that and give it to me, it's game over. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I also learned that you have to do that during that early discovery stage, not late in the price negotiation stage, because they won't yeah. play that game when they're price negotiating. Well, by then you're talking to other people in the committee. By then you're in procurement. By then you're into somebody else who only cares about whittling down the price. And if you don't have that advocate saying, no, it's at all costs, this is what I need. And this is what I bought into. It, it also helps you get to the now, right? Yeah. So the why now part of it um, that drives the reason why they need to buy something versus you telling them. So that's where, oh, the ROI, the return on your investment, you can achieve that in a year. So what, I'll do that next year. I'll get that one year back, but I'll just do it next year. So you have to get it to what, what's the cost or the loss of revenue, the loss of business or customer acquisition, the loss of whatever it is they're concerned about if they don't make a move now. And that's that 
that taking it even one step further. So I think of it as like a baseball game. I got to first base, I got to second base. If I'm going to get to home and I'm going to do it while the bases are loaded, I better make sure that I complete all the steps that I need. Yeah, absolutely. And um, being able to do that means that you have to have, when customers are in this very risk averse mode, means that doing something now has to be the safe choice. Yep. And it has to be safer than staying hunkered in your foxhole. And um, that brings me to, to something I'm kind of high on, and that is business acumen. Can you really have those art, articulate and have those conversations, especially executive business conversations, if you aren't not only un, don't understand your customer's business, but you're able to talk about business. Tell me about that. You know, what, do you, yeah, what do you think about that? I, I don't believe that you can. I think that this, this is the challenge that these uh, early career sellers are going to have is they need to be able to walk into a meeting with a C-level executive who's got years and years of experience behind them. And if they, if they feel or sound like they're just coming out of school and they don't really have life experiences, they aren't going to be taken seriously. So they have to do the research and understand the customer's business, but they also have to be able to understand what the customer's going through beyond just the value benefit they're trying to receive from what I'm selling them. And a lot of that can come from reading the annual reports. I, and you talk about that in your book on how to read that, right? So yeah. that's a key skill that if you want to fast track your way into understanding business is to really understand and learn what those annual reports mean because the C-level staff, everything that they do is a mission that's outlined in that report, whether it be the CEO or the board of director summary or anything in the 10K that's outlining their revenues, where they're growing or where they're spending. Understanding that and being able to articulate that will help you have that C-level conversation and sound more credible. That's also where those leading statistics that I talked about. If you bring information and you've done the research and you're sharing that research, an executive isn't gonna be doing the research at that level for that particular problem. So like for us selling CRM, we always did the research on what customer experience meant, what companies were saying, what was Gartner saying, what was Forrester saying about how important customer experience was gonna be or the life cycle of it. If you're speaking to a CIO or a VP of sales or a chief operating officer, they're not doing that research. So that's where you're adding value to that executive conversation is by having industry knowledge as well, that's research that's validated that they can leverage to help them come to that decision. I, I, yeah, I absolutely. Uh, that's great. I keep on saying I love that in my interviews. I have to stop saying I love that. You like, say that's great. We do love it. Do you like the background noise from my sick injured dog? <laughs> I, you know, part of the work from home. All of a sudden, we're all working from home, and there's lots of noises and distractions that go on during the day, it. which is what makes this lockdown exciting. Yeah, I just had a call on my phone. I forgot to turn it off. So I think we're, I think we're even on that. But. Uh, and at least nobody's had a you know a husband or boyfriend walk behind the camera in their underwear. Have you seen that? <laughs> I have seen those. That always makes it interesting. <laughs> you know what we're doing right now, uh, Mark. That's actually a skill that reps are going to have to get used to. And so uh, one of the things that I uh, was speaking with some colleagues about was how to effectively use Zoom meetings. And you have to be able to develop that rapport and you have to have the water cooler conversations and the little chit chat in the example that we just did because you're losing that personal connection by being over video. And so it doesn't need to be so stiff and rigorous, 
I think most of the sellers are used to using videos as a part of the sales process. And for a temporary time or for the foreseeable future, it may be the bulk of what we're doing. So it's okay. It's okay to sidetrack and have these little idle conversations and lighten the mood and, and laugh and have a little fun with it. Because yeah. the person on the other end, it's new to them too. Uh, it's new to them. And you need to, you need to convey humanity. And yeah. we, have, we have to hear your dog yipping. And, yeah. Um, it's humanity and I like, I like that. It has to have a human touch to it and you have to, because you're still trying to build that trust in order to be the seller that's going to win in those fewer opportunities uh, so that you're not fighting in, a, in, just fighting in a phone booth. You're going to have to have that humanity to build that trust and yeah. that relationship uh, with them because that, that is what the elite sellers do is they build that trust and they build that trust at the different levels in that in the value chain So there's a lot of different things that are happening. So we'll use that word again in that in yeah. that manner as well yeah. So that's part of it is bringing that humanity. It doesn't have to be impersonal and you still want every interaction that you have with your Your buyers to be very personal. Yeah and about them as much as possible. You know, I have, I have been this week, I've been, uh, I, sometimes I, I burrow into my own head. And so I've been kind of over concentrating on the difference between qualifying and discovery, which are two words for the same part of the buying process, of the selling process. One of them describes a buyer focused view of it. And one, you know, qualifying, that's about me. And discovery is about us. Mm -hmm. and closing is about me because when uh, you know th think about a split screen on zoom when the salesperson has closed and they're dancing around and getting bells rung that is the exact time when the customer is doing something that's called verping verping, verping. that's when you're so afraid that your burp tastes like vomit right? <laughs> your close date is the first day the customer has started to become accountable for their decision. Mm -hmm. That is fear day number one in your celebration day. And so closing should be kind of go live day because that is the beginning of a journey together and a commitment. So I'm, I don't know if I'm getting you know, too um, distracted by the details of language, but I, I do think that the mindset behind those are, is important. I agree. And I think that when you're in throughout your selling process, there's different types of things that you are looking for from the discovery stage as well. I was reading somewhere and I wish I could remember who, who I am right now quoting, but it's uh, quoting uh, something that talks about the customer experience. And they said that the customer defection starts during the sales cycle. And so that's interesting to me because the customer experience the selling process and the selling cycle is important to them for that experience. And they may buy from you and then to use you, what is it? Verp, verp, is that what you said? So, so they may be having a little of that verp as they're, they're purchasing, but that's also in the back of their mind, the nervousness of that, uh, that risk adverse buyer of have I really made the right decision and I don't want buyer's remorse and I better have an excellent experience. And it means don't promise things you can't deliver on as a seller because that is the number one thing that will drive a customer to defection later on, especially in an outcome-based 
selling cycle. So we sell a lot of services. We sell a lot of software as a service in our technology industry and we sell outcomes. And if I was promised an outcome, I'm not going to have delivered to me, then I'm already thinking about how to defect. I've already created a problem. And so those discovery sessions that you're talking about and the, and the opportunity and the outcome, you have to really look at them differently the way you describe, because in that process, you have to make sure that you're only promising what you can deliver. I talked to uh, a guy who's like tech support or delivery project management, and he said, well, my, my primary job is to uh, tell the customer what they were promised that they can't get. My primary job is to start with crushing a customer's dreams and then telling them what we can do instead. And I just like, I was, I was aghast. What kind of a company, what kind of a environment is that? where that's where somebody perceives that as their job um <laughs> so and what one of the great things about having a, a methodology that incorporates understanding the customer's outcomes is that you can do the opposite um i use the you know the old miller hyman blue sheet when we we're trying to really be disciplined about understanding the customer's outcome we wanted to not only understand their business outcome but what that meant to them personally um, I can get, I can stop working overtime. I can stop working so many weekends. Yeah. I get a promotion, whatever that is. And when those were accurately collected and compiled, that was part of the handover to the execution team. So the execution team not only had the, the technical, here's what they're buying and here's the statement of work, but here's who cares and here's what they care about and here's the outcome they're trying to get. And suddenly that two-dimensional statement of work turned into a three-dimensional statement of how we're going to grow this client relationship together through the through the build out and through the go live and mm -hmm. um that's a i think that's a big deal and it's a big difference i i agree it's a really big deal and it helps protect that customer for the long haul so that the experience part of the buying experience uh, they believe and they're bought into it then they're not as they're not as risk adverse throughout that cycle but i also think what it's something that you can share with the customer so my reps would share that with our customers as well and make sure that they bought into it. It wasn't just something that we put sticky notes up on the wall or up on our whiteboard or documented in our CRM system. It was things that we shared with our customers. We called them joint engagement plans. And in those engagement plans, we not only mapped out the timeline to close so that we got buy-in every step of the way with the customer that we were on the right track, but also the outcomes that they were expecting and who the players were that expected which outcome. And so along the way, if you're sharing those types of things that were on those blue sheets and those green sheets with the customers, your chances of earning their respect throughout that cycle before close and after are greater. Yeah, you know, their journey isn't the journey to close that we think of. Their journey is their journey to success. Right. And, uh, close had better just be a minor, um, a, a minor appointment among yeah. a huge project plan. Um, yeah. We're only one piece of it. Right, yeah. the sellers. That's how we have to start looking at it. Is we're just phase one. We're one. Yeah. We're one piece of the customer's entire journey with our organization, and we want to make sure that whatever they do from the moment we close forward reflects positively for the customer as well as us. Because I'll tell you, and I write about this a lot, is your customers need to be your greatest advocates. One thing that sellers also forget to ask for is a referral. 
uh, rep, reps ask the customers for referrals. We'll ask them for references. Hey, I have another deal. Can you be a reference and tell them how great we are? That's very common. But what we don't do is on very often, but the elite sellers do, is we ask for a reference. Who can you introduce me to who in your network that you think would also like this solution or benefit from this solution? And customers will do that. When they are advocates, they will introduce you to your next closed deal. Uh, that's that's actually a part of, of some of my marketing plans. When I'm working with a real small client, they can't afford what I would normally charge. Um, but I'd say we're, we're incorporating three referrals into this into this project. And I'm happy to work with you. I'm happy to give you um, such a great experience that you're happy referring me. But um, I also expect that this, a referral is going to be part of the engagement. And clients are very happy to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not, I, think I liken it to, for, for you, you refer to the phone booth and some other analogies. My analogies is Cutco. Have you ever had a Cutco knife salesperson? They're kids in college or right out of college. And what they do is they, they come to you and they, you know, it's a little cheesy analogy, but it's really good. They come to you and they say, Hey, if you're not going to buy, or even if you're going to buy, just hear me out. And if I leave with 10 names of your closest friends, you don't even have to buy anything. I'm good. I just want to tell you about how wonderful our, our company is and how wonderful our solutions are. And I think it's a brilliant marketing strategy to teach young sellers how to not be, you know, shy from just saying, hey, who do you know? Who else do you know that might benefit from this service? And can you help me connect to them? And that's what this world, I think, is going to shift to and is all about is when you build that trust, they're more than happy to share with their friends. They all belong to groups, right? They all belong to LinkedIn groups or LinkedIn networks. They all belong to local you know, sharing, they may not be direct competitors, but they might be in a similar role and, and you got to ask. Yeah. And it's never more important than now in the, in the COVID times, as I call them. So uh, tell people how they can get a hold of you, Christine. Yeah. So they can reach me at Ventellus. I'm christine.gilroy at ventellus.com. And so my, my name is C-H-R-A-S-T-I-N-E dot G-I-L-R-O-Y at Ventellus, V-I-N-T-E-L-L-U-S dot com. So they can find me there and uh, send me a note or they can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Great. Christine, what a great conversation. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark, for having me on the call. And uh, I look forward to future chats. You bet. And uh, everybody, thank you for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we know that value is something that only exists in your customer's mind, which means that your success is all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.